All right, look with me, please, in Third John. We'll read verses 1 through 6. We began this study on last week with the overview of this epistle. This is a, um, a short epistle, of course, as you are aware. And we begin our reading in verse 1 tonight. The elder unto the well-beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospereth. For I rejoiced greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee, even as thou walkest in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Beloved, thou doest faithfully whatsoever thou doest to the brethren and to strangers, which have borne witness of thy charity before the church, whom if thou bring forward on the journey after a godly sort, thou shalt do well. Last week we began our study of this third epistle of John, again with an overview of the epistle as we do each time we enter into a new book of, of the Scriptures, Old or New Testament. And within the overview, we considered several facts concerning this epistle. First, we considered the author. I just want to review these briefly as we move into the text this evening. As I pointed out, he begins by saying, the elder, and although the author of this epistle does not identify himself within this letter, the evidence is overwhelmingly pointing to John the Beloved as the writer. First, we see this by the name of the epistle itself, along with the previous and following, or, or along with the Gospel of John and the and the previous epistles, First uh, and Second John, and then the Gospel of John. Of course, we uh, this serves as a good indicator that John, of course, is the writer of the book. That's commonly just accepted. Second, the Gospel of John, whose authorship is attributed to John the Beloved, has many similarities to the first epistle of John, the second epistle of John, and uh, as well, the gospel uh, of John. They bear irrefutable resemblance to the first epistle, the second and third, and also they are very similar in terminology, specifically first John and the gospel of John and the first chapter, many similarities even in the introduction of the book and the opening of the book of the writing itself. And also we know that none of these epistles, first, second, or third John, Neither the Gospel of John names John as the writer, and yet we, again, commonly accept that, that this is John the Beloved. Then we look at this, we uh, consider the recipient of the epistle. While 1 John is referred to, as we've mentioned, as a general epistle, and the second epistle of John is addressed to either a specific person, a lady, or a specific church, and that's a debatable, uh, debatable thought, the final epistle, 3 John, is clearly addressed primarily to an individual. And we see that when he says, the elder, verse 1, unto the well-beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. The name Gaius, as I've mentioned to you, is used five times in the Scriptures. There's Acts 19, 29, where there's Gaius of Macedonia. Then there's Acts 20, verse 4, Gaius of Derby. Romans 16, 23, Gaius who hosted Paul. 1 Corinthians 1, 14, Gaius who baptized the Corinthian believers. Then 3 John verse 1, Gaius to whom John addressed this third epistle. Now John calls Gaius one of his children in verse 4, which would signify that Gaius was led to Christ under the ministry of John or that John had discipled Gaius personally since the time of Gaius' conversion. He says in verse 1, the elder unto the well-beloved Gaius whom I love in the truth. Now we know as well 
he mentions him as being in, in verse 4 when he says, I rejoice greatly, or I'm sorry, he says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. And this is in direct relation to Gaius, not limited to Gaius alone, but yet Gaius being one of those children. So hence again, we would think, believe that John potentially led Gaius to faith in Christ, that he was the one God used to, to point him to Christ, or and or uh, he also or could have been the one to disciple Gaius again up to this point. And he is writing him a, an epistle that is recorded in the Scripture. So that has quite significance in itself. So obviously, uh, John is, is invested into Gaius to some degree. We, we recognize that to be true. Now, while there's five mentions of a Gaius in Scripture, again, there's no indication that this Gaius in Third John, verse 1, is the same Gaius in any of the other four mentions, and we know that all five mentions are not the same Gaius, and that is distinctly declared by Acts 19, 29, and Acts 24. Whenever it says Gaius of Macedonia and then Gaius of Derby, obviously two diff- distinct places that are being mentioned here, and so these are not the same individual in all five accounts, at least. Then we consider the date the epistle was written, and it's believed that all three of the epistles of John were written near the end of the first century, near the ending of John's life, and it would imply that they were all written around the same period of time. Also, as I've previously mentioned to you, the content of the three epistles are similar, in which the second and third epistle echo in, in, in brevity much of the teaching of John within the first epistle, in which John wrote in a much more detailed manner. Then we saw the key words, number four, in the epistle. Love is mentioned one time, verse 1, rejoiced one time, verse 3, joy one time, verse 4, truth six times, verses 1, 3, 4, 8, and 12. And then we looked at the overall theme, and this is, this is of course, of significance. Verse 8, we therefore ought to receive such that we might be fellow helpers to the truth. This verse is key to the overall message John conveys in his third epistle. We saw in 2 John that one of the main emphasis was the fact that love and truth and truth and love are inseparably linked together. And he talks about how love and truth are mentioned multiple times. As a matter of fact, in 2 John, truth is mentioned five times, verses 1 through 4, and love is mentioned four times, verse 1, verse 3, verse 5, and verse 6. And so in a very short epistle, we find truth mentioned five times, love mentioned four times in 2 John. However, when we look at 3 John, we see love is only mentioned once, whereas truth is mentioned six times. And then verse 8 helps hone in on this overall theme of the epistle, which is that we might be fellow helpers to the truth. And this is carried out throughout the epistle, of course. So in 3 John, the word love only used once, you had the word truth six times, and that does have significance. Although in 2 John, we've already seen where these are inseparably linked. So it's not saying that, that truth stands alone from love, but it's saying that in this particular epistle, truth is taking the forefront, and that is he's talking about being fellow helpers to the truth. So while this epistle includes John's appreciation for those who walk in truth, the theme is an exhortation to be a fellow helper to the truth, which he is encouraging Gaius to do. So tonight we begin our study in verse 2. We move forward now to verse 2. Where John says, Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospereth. Now, the word translated wish, when he says, Beloved, I wish, the word translated in this wish in this verse, it literally means pray. So, this is not John simply saying, Oh, you know, 
I really hope this works out for you. No, he's saying, I pray this for you. I wish this, but the word wish means pray. It's translated wish, it means pray. So he's saying, I pray this for you. This is my desire, and not only do I desire, and by the way, look at the difference here in, in what we would, how we would define the word wish in, in, if we just took it at face value. We look at something that we would desire for someone, but that doesn't mean we've invested any prayer into it whatsoever. But when it says, the meaning of the word is that of prayer, or pray, and so if it means pray, then that means that John is not only saying, I desire this, but I am committing this to the Lord on your behalf. So he is investing in them in this matter. And then we look at John's prayer, was that Gaius might progress, or progress, that he might be well. John clarified that this prayer was for his health, Gaius' health. And in this this particular use of the word in this text, John literally literally is referring to the physical well-being of Gaius. So here he's saying, I pray above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, that your physical well-being would prosper, that you would be in physical health. Now, it's noteworthy of the way John expressed this prayer and desire for Gaius. And this, the prayer is not that he prosper physically so that he can prosper spiritually. Nor is the prayer that he prosper spiritually so that he might prosper physically. And you need to see these distinctions because we could easily look at this and say, oh, John is saying here that his greatest desire above all other things is that Gaius first prosper. Oh, that sounds wonderful, doesn't it? And that he be in good health. And so if you read it without clarity, (laughs) it would seem as though John is talking about prosperity for Gaius and good health for Gaius and that he is saying this potentially from the perspective of, oh, I pray your health is good and that you, you are prospering and progress well so that you might be spiritually well. Or one may think, oh, you know, I, John here is, is desiring that he prosper, Gaius prosper spiritually so that then he might also prosper physically. But John does not say either of these things here. Also, most importantly in this, I want to point out, that John is not praying this for himself. John is not praying that he have great health and that he prosper. He's praying for Gaius, that Gaius has good health and that Gaius might prosper. So this is not a selfish prayer in any capacity. And Gaius is not said to pray this for himself John is praying this for him. So let's stop here for just a moment because I need to to clarify this. And we're going to look into this, what this actually is saying in more detail in just a moment. But see, we read this and we immediately go, oh, well, John, oh, that he might prosper and that he might be in good health. But John's not even praying this for himself. I would venture to say to you that most people who view such a statement in a selfish manner, do so because this is the manner they would pray for themselves, much more so than they would ever desire or invest time in praying for another in the same capacity. So John isn't saying, oh Lord, bless me that I might prosper and that I might be in good health. He says, no, my above all, I'm praying that you might prosper. And the word prosper does not mean that he might financially simply 
be wealthy. That's not what this means either. It means progress or progress. It also means successful. But successful doesn't simply mean, oh, that he might be successful in his business. Though, again, there would be nothing wrong with that prayer in submission to the Lord. But you have to understand, we see prosper and we immediately think prosperity. And in today's culture, that immediately equates to, though it's wrong, to financial wealth. And then also we think of good health and we're thinking about, of course, being again void of any sickness and void of all this. No, but there's more to it than this and we need to understand that. John's desire and prayer for Gaius to be physically well is based on or measured by what John knew of the spiritual well-being and spiritual progress of Gaius. So see, we focus so much, I'm not saying you do, but people tend to, oh, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, Gaius. But look at the next statement. This is the qualifier. Even as thy soul prospereth. Do you see what John is saying here? He's not just wishing blessings of financial prosperity upon Gaius and saying, oh, I just pray that you have no sickness in your life. He's saying, Gaius, based on your spiritual well-being, based on your spiritual progress, based on your spiritual prosperity, not physical. He says, my desire above all else now, after that being the case, is that you be in good health and that you be successful. But there's an important caveat to this. And it's in the last statement, which qualifies the first statement. Even as thy soul prospereth. So this is of tremendous importance. In other words, again, John's desire and prayer for Gaius to be physically well is based or measured by what John knew of the spiritual well-being of, spiritual well-being of Gaius. So in other words, John's first desire is not that Gaius prosper physically and have physical health, but rather that as Gaius has spiritually prospered and is spiritually healthy, so now John desires and prays that God would minister to Gaius physically in the same manner. So again, while you may read this at first and think that John is saying, oh, Above everything else, the physical success and physical wealth or health, wealth and health, if you will, is what's most important. No, it's based on the spiritual health and spiritual progress of Gaius. So he's saying, measured by the spiritual, so I pray the Lord and desire that the Lord bless you physically in good health and in success as he has spiritually done so, as your spiritual condition presently is. I believe there's something for us to consider here that's of tremendous importance. Those who are not spiritually well and those who are not spiritually prosperous often attempt to use spirituality in an attempt to prosper physically or monetarily or succeed. In other words, whether it be claiming things by faith, whether it be that praying that, you know, Lord, I've been really faithful to you, now I'm praying you'll bless me in turn as though God owes them something, whatever it may be, they attempt to use re religion or spirituality from that perspective in an attempt to prosper physically or monetarily. 
However, those who are spiritually mature and spiritually prosperous will see physical well-being and prosperity simply as a means to continue to be a fellow helper to the truth. Remember the emphasis of this text, that you might be a fellow helper to the truth. Well, why is John praying for the physical well-being and physical success of Gaius? That Gaius might continue to be a fellow helper to the truth. Because Gaius is already rooted in truth. Look at verse 4. I have no greater joy. What's he say? I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Beloved, thou doest faithfully whatsoever thou doest to the brethren and to strangers, which have borne witness of thy charity before the church, who if thou bring forward on their journey after godly sort, thou shalt do well. Do you see what he's saying? You, you are to continue in this work, and I'm praying for your physical well-being and physical prosperity, even as you have spiritually been prosperous and spiritually you have been, or you are in health, in spiritual health. And so based upon that, I desire that physically the same blessing come upon you that you might be a fellow helper to the truth. John is not praying this selfishly for himself. Neither is he praying this that Gaius might consume upon this prayer selfishly. But he is praying this for the furtherance of the gospel, for the benefit of Gaius being a fellow helper to the truth. And it's because he is spiritually rooted and grounded and walking in truth that John would ever pray this for Gaius to begin with. So while many would view passages such as this or similar to this as though it's a means for us to rightfully pray for spiritual, physical prosperity and physical health, saying, oh God, you know, make me healthy so I can enjoy my life. Oh God, give me money so I can enjoy my life. That has nothing to do with what John is praying here. He's saying, Gaius, you have a responsibility. Not only that you walk in truth, and I rejoice in that, but that you are a fellow helper to the truth. And I am praying that God, in His will, would prosper you and give you good health, that you might be successful, that you might progress, that as you have spiritually been successful in walking in the truth, that you also would be physically successful in ministering to others who are walking in the truth. This is the point. And as soon as you remove the gospel out of this, you have nothing but some, a prayer for a man who otherwise will selfishly consume upon such a blessing if God were to answer that prayer request. You have to remember something. When John wrote this, when Gaius received it, they were not temporally minded, they were spiritually minded. And they were committed to the work of the gospel. And so you cannot take verses like this and try to twist them to make it a prayer for some physical prosperity, physical success, physical well-being to be selfishly consumed by the one who receives it. He says, verse 8, We therefore ought to receive such that we might be fellow helpers to the truth. Again, pointing to the theme of this book. There's nothing wrong with us praying that God will bless our brethren in both health and prosperity, meaning not make them rich. That's not even what we're talking about here, but physically to succeed, physically to be healthy. However, this should, dire, or this, uh, this should be desired second to the spiritual health and progress of another. 
So it should be based on the fact that this person is already spiritually rooted and grounded, and we know that whatever, whatever they would receive, whatever God would bless them with, whether it's finances, whether it's success in the world, in business, I mean, whether it is uh, physical health, whatever it may be, that this person isn't going to simply just squander it away on themselves, but they're going to view it as a steward for the furtherance of the gospel and not just for selfish consumption. Verse 3, For I rejoiced greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee, even as thou walkest in the truth. Again, look at what John is saying. He's saying, oh, Gaius. It's not Gaius saying, hey, John, I want you to pray for me that I physically prospered, I physically am successful, and I'm physically in good health. Because after all, you know I've been faithful. You know, I, John, I, I've, I've served the Lord, and I've done everything I can. No, Gaius isn't saying anything about himself. The testimony of Gaius' faithfulness is of, from other brethren. They know Gaius is faithful. John knows Gaius is faithful because of the testimony of Gaius. Not his own testimony, the testimony by others of him. What greater testimony could be owned? John makes two tremendous statements in this verse concerning the testimony of Gaius. And when I say the testimony of Gaius, here's what you have to understand first of all. Your testimony is not a testimony unto men. Your testimony is unto God. But it is a testimony before men. And so Gaius is already walking in truth unto the Lord. And because of that, testimony he has before men is voiced by those who acknowledge and see the truth of Gaius' walk with God. And the two statements that are made here by John are simply these two statements that are of tremendous significance. First of all, the truth is abiding in Gaius. Notice what he says. They came, the brother came and testified of the truth that is in thee. Second, Gaius is abiding in the truth. These are inseparable, even as thou walkest in the truth. Do you see what John just said? Here's the testimony of Gaius, not his personal testimony of himself. The brethren testify of Gaius in this manner. Truth is in this man, and this man lives in truth. What more could be said? Truth is in this man, and this man is in the truth. The evidence of the truth being in Gaius is manifested by Gaius continuing in the truth. This is the simple truth. (laughs) Those who are in the truth will, or those in whom the truth is in, will live in that truth. If you possess truth, then truth possesses you. In other words, I'm going to say it to you like this. If you possess Christ, or Christ, it's only because Christ possesses you. Right? If you possess the Holy Spirit, it's only because the Holy Spirit possesses you. He dwells in you. 
These are inseparable, just like love and truth are inseparable in John 2, or 2 John, that is, I'm sorry, the second epistle. So it is in the third epistle, we are seeing that truth in someone is truth lived out by someone. And truth lived out by someone is because truth is in someone. And what this means is that truth is continually transforming us. I am possessed by truth. I possess truth, and therefore I am possessed by truth. And if that is true, then I'm going to walk in the truth. It's not I'm going to simply try to. Now, we fail in this, of course. But it's not I'm going to make it my life goal to try to walk in truth. No, this is a result of truth residing in me. Again, John dealt with this, did he not, in his first epistle when he says, He that doeth righteousness is righteous. Remember him saying that? Why does he say that? Not because, oh, our righteousness makes us righteous. No, the only reason we do righteousness or righteously is because righteousness abides in us. And the same thing is true here. So if we are of the truth, or if truth is in us, then we will also be in the truth. You can't have it any other way, and that's what John is saying here. And he rejoiced in this testimony. People can talk about all they do and how successful they've been in ministry or how widespread their ministry has been and extends, yet there is no testimony like that of other believers bearing witness of the truth in you and your continued faithfulness to walk therein. As a believer and as a pastor as a believer in general, just a believer, when I say just a believer, I'm saying apart from being a pastor, not just a believer, you know what I mean. Absent of being a pastor as a believer, but then even as a pastor as well, I, I have no desire to come to the end of my days and it be talked about how this man pastored thousands of people during his life. What difference does that make? None. The desire I would have is that the testimony would be truth was in him and he lived in the truth. And that's what's being stated about Gaius. So John desired for Gaius to be blessed by God in every aspect because Gaius was already committed to the truth and to live in the truth. Verse 4, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Here John expresses his joy over the testimony of Gaius walking in the truth. The verb walk infers a continuity of action. So when he's saying walking, when walketh, it says the one who is literally walking. He's continuing in a journey, if you will. And so what's being stated here is that he has no greater joy. He says, John says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children, not his physical offspring, though of course that would be included in this, obviously. But he's not just saying my physical offspring. He's saying those of, my, uh, uh, of spiritual lineage here, those who have come to faith through the ministry God has given me, those who have been discipled through this ministry God has given me. John is saying there's no greater joy, as he also is now parroting to some degree what he's already stated in the second epistle of John in verse 4. Remember what he says in second epistle, verse 4? I rejoice greatly that I found of thy children walking in truth. And now he says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. So it's very similar to what he's already stated. And so John is expressing and explaining here that There is no greater joy that he has as a follower of Christ himself than to see those in whom God has used him 
to bring to Christ, pointing them to Christ, or to disciple them in pointing them to Christ, that they continue in the truth. That they are walking in truth, this continuity of action. So what John is really saying is this, to walk in truth is to walk in Christ. Because Christ is the truth. (laughs) And what greater reward could there be in this life than to witness those we have had an opportunity to minister unto come to Christ and then continue to walk in Christ? Look, there is a sense of happiness To see someone come to faith or profess faith in Christ. But there is a reality of joy when you see someone walk in Christ. Think of that for a moment. Anyone can say anything. But it's only those in whom truth abides that will abide in truth. And so while I would say, oh yes, I'm, I'm, I would rejoice and be grateful for anyone to profess Christ. But the joy doesn't come from someone making a profession. John doesn't say, I have no greater joy than someone profess Jesus. No. He's saying there's no greater joy when there's a continuity in the action of following after Jesus. To know Him. While many focus only on evangelism, because many do, that's all they think of. It's like, that's it, alone. Now, are we we to evangelize? Absolutely. But that's all that there is in their life, so it would seem. Discipleship is commanded in Scripture. Matthew 28, 19, and 20. You know these verses. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the, of the world. Amen. It's interesting. Many people think that this, this verse, verse 19 of Matthew 28, they emphasize which verb in this verse do they emphasize many times? Who said that? Go. And that's not what, that's not the main verb in this text. The main verb in this text is teach me oh go but the the connotation of the text is not you go it's as you go teach wow so what we're being told is as we live our lives we are to be teaching others going is not the emphasis here going is the means by which the emphasis is fulfilled (laughs) as you go Teach. So teaching here is paramount. Teaching evangelistically, teaching in discipleship, continuing to teach, that others may not only come to faith, but might continue in the faith. Meaning, walking in truth. So not just to profess faith. The evidence of one who has genuinely come to faith in Christ will be a life committed to following after Christ. Furthermore, those who truly follow truth or follow Christ will have a desire for truth to continually transform them. 
if you truly love truth, then you desire truth to change you. Look, I have to be changed continually. I have to constantly be conformed to the image of Christ. And I love truth and I want truth to change me. And where I'm in error, where I do not understand, I want truth to penetrate my heart and mind and change me. I want truth to change me. And it's not for the sake of being right to say I'm right. It's for the sake of being submitted to God and truth continually conforming and transforming my life. Verse 5. Beloved, thou doest faithfully whatsoever thou doest to the brethren and to strangers. In verse 5, John both commends and encourages Gaius for his faithfulness in all he has done on behalf of the brethren and as well to strangers and to continue so. Our hospitality, our love, our compassion, our mercy should begin at home, obviously, with our brothers and sisters in Christ, but it should not end there. Notice what he says again. Whatsoever thou doest to the brethren and to strangers. If we, the church, do not reach out to a world that is destitute of both the love and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, then who will? We've been made the stewards. And he is saying both to those brethren and to strangers that this is to be a demonstration of truth and love, of course. Verse 6. Which have borne witness of thy charity before the church, whom, if thou being forward on... Bring forward on the journey after a godly sort, thou shalt do well. The testimony of Gaius preceded him, obviously here. His life of love and faithfulness to God was not some secret. The Christian life cannot be lived in secret. I've said to you many times, salvation or relationship with Jesus Christ is always personal, but never private. A walk with Christ, a relationship with Christ, salvation itself is always personal. It's a personal relationship. But this idea that it's some private relationship is absolutely unbiblical. You are the... But we are the church, but he said you are the light of the world. Didn't he? That's not private. That's personal, but it's not private. And this idea that you can have private Christianity is bogus. Set upon a hill, the light. We are the light of the world. We are set upon the hill. We are the salt of the world, right? The salt of the earth, we're told, right? We're to be salt. We're to be light. Brother Glisten, just last Sunday, and I love it when he says this. And we had talks and conversations afterwards and the next day. And he says, some people ask him, well, um, how many churches do you think you can start? Um, you know, in the first five years or there or whatever else. He's going, I have no idea. He says, right now there's only one Bible teaching church in the whole area, so probably not very many. And then he says, this is what I can do. I can be salt and light. That's the best biblical answer to give. And so that's what we are, and that's not private. Personal, yes. Private, no. 2 Corinthians 4.11, For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. That's not private. That is very public, but yet personal. Our purpose, such as that, was that of Gaius, should be to glorify the Lord Jesus by helping others in a godly manner along their journey of life as a fellow helper to the truth. Journey of life not meaning just as they make their way through life. Their journey in the truth. Their walk in the truth. Our desire for others to prosper. 
should be on the basis of their spiritual maturity so that through however, whatever means, the Lord might prosper them in health and life. It will all be seen and used as a means to an end, not as the end goal or desire. In other words, let me rephrase that for you. I've already said this in in a different manner. John is not praying, well, Gaius is saved and Lord, I just now bless that you make his end of his life easy, however long that may be, and that you prosper him, give him wealth and give him health and may he just enjoy his days. That's how people view such a statement here. John isn't praying this as though this is the end goal, this is the end desire. He's praying for the wealth and for, or not the wealth, the health and the prosperity of success and however God may bless, physically bless Gaius as a means to an end that Gaius might continue in what he's already doing in his present situation as a fellow helper to the truth. See how backwards we think of this so often? It's not like, oh, and then this idea along the same lines. If you're not already serving the Lord, then no circumstance in your life physically is going to change that's going to convince you to serve the Lord then. In other words, people make, make statements like this, well, when I retire, you know, when I retire, then I'm going to I'm gonna start really serving God. No, if you're not serving God while you're working, you're not going to serve God when you retire. If you don't love him then, now you're not going to love him then. Are you following? Now, would retirement potentially provide opportunities that were not present before? Absolutely it would, in, in some cases. But people who think that that, see, that's looking at, at like an end goal, an end desire. No, we should not view it this way, as though some financial stability or some health uh, position, uh, condition of health we might achieve or, or attain, that's going to bring us to a point to where now we can be a fellow helper to the truth. That's not what John is praying for Gaius. He's saying, Gaius is already doing this. And now, Lord, I pray that you would prosper and continue to progress him in this, that he might continue to be a fellow helper to the truth, and that you would physically make it possible even more so, expand the opportunity that he might be able to do so even in a greater manner as he is already doing now. It's not the end game or end result is make Gaius healthy and wealthy. No, it's that Gaius might continue more so to be a fellow helper to the truth. This is the theme, and this must be understood. So may that be true of us as well. However, God would bless us physically, health, or success, or even prosperity, or, or progress, whatever it may be. May it be that we are already submitted unto Him so that this is not the end. This is simply a means to the end, which is God being glorified in and through all situations and circumstances of our lives.